appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals, and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking, whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet we wipe off against you. Yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near. I tell you, It will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Greetings from Trinity Baptist, and um, it's good to be here with you today. And as I was praying and thinking about coming, God laid two passages on my mind. One from Luke's Gospel, and the other is from Jeremiah 29, which um, you will all know, because as I sat down after I came out of the vestry, my wife whispered to me and said, did you know their verse for the year? So I'm going to read from Luke 29, and verses 1 to 14. Normally when there's difficult names in a reading, I do my best to, um, to make sure someone else reads them. Um, so please bear with me if I get the pronunciation wrong of... Um, of the characters here. So I'm going to read from Jeremiah 29 and verses 1 to 14. These are the words of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the Queen Mother, the court officials, the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the artisans and the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisa, son of Japhan, and Gemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom King Zedekiah of Judah sent to Babylon, to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. That's the difficult names out of the way, thankfully. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may be, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let the prophets and the diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. 
and I did not send them, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord, only when Babylon's seventy years are completed will I visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. Then when you call upon me and come and pray to me, I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me. If you seek me with all your heart, I will let you find me, says the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from the nations and all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. I've been thinking about where to start because that's a very different situation to the situation that Jesus was in and the people around Jesus were. Very different situation again from the third place I want to consider. And I feel it's right to consider and that's our society today. So let's just come, let's just spend a moment in prayer as we come to consider these passages. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that you speak to us through your word. And as we, your people, come, we ask that we would hear your voice, know your presence with us. Lord, lead, Lord, guide, Lord, speak. For you alone are God, you alone are Lord. It is to you alone we come. So be with us now, in Jesus' name. Amen. So there's three very different situations I've been questioning where to to start, and I think I'll start with our society. I read, I hear so many times that we're no longer a Christian society, that we've moved on, and there is a secular agenda which is growing, which our country is buying into. I think you'll all be aware that the Girl Guide movement has actually changed its pledge They've taken God out of it. It's now, I promise that I will do my best to be true to myself and develop my beliefs to serve the Queen and my community, to help other people, and to keep the Brownie Guide law. There's no mention of God there. And I'm assured that the Scout Movement actually are giving their leaders a choice of whether to keep with the the pledge that includes God or whether to then or to go to a similar secular pledge. We do live in a time of church decline, and George Carey this week, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, has come out and said that in 25 years, he envisages that if young people aren't attracted to the Church of England, the Church of England itself will finish, will die in 25 years, which is very alarming. When we moved to the area just over nine years ago, 
There were four church buildings active in Bakeup and Stacksteads. There's now one. Um, St John's and Christ Church meet in the premises of Central Methodist. But it's not just the Church of England. Other churches have closed and I was, I was involved with the closure of Waterbarn Baptist Church. That's hard. It's difficult. It's painful. But it's a reality of where we're going. Now I never thought that I would be unhappy at seeing pubs close. Especially as I grew up in a household where my mother signed the pledge and would have no alcohol until my sister went away from to university and it was the third year, third Christmas, that my mother agreed to have, um, have wine at the Christmas lunch. Um, it was a bit later in the day that we realised that she had had some wine because she was laughing at my dad's jokes and the, they were the same every year and... Um, yeah, none of us laughed. It fortunately encouraged him and he got similarities, aren't there, in sons and fathers. But the pub's closing. It's a sign of our communities breaking down because the centres of our communities were the church and were the pubs. And it saddens me to think that here, in this country, community is breaking down. But before I paint too black a picture and leave everybody absolutely and totally depressed and think, well, where on earth do we go from here and what on earth do we do? There is so much good in society too. There's so much good happening in society. There are very good people and the vast majority of people are good. When um, we were in Leicestershire, um, in the first church I was in, one of the um, deacons there was a police sergeant and um, he described his job as the person who knocked on people's doors early in the morning to persuade them to come down to the station. And um, his comment was that, that the vast majority of people are good. There are a few bad ones and that few bad ones are very, very busy. But the majority of people, the vast majority of people are good. We, um, these are different. These are changing times. And there is a message of God's love, God's presence, God's power, God's saving, God's healing. God's releasing to be heard and to be heard by so many. But what is the best way to take that to people around us? Jesus calls us to be salt and light in the world and I take that very seriously. I continue to meet people within the community through work that I do as a chaplain to a homeless project, the chaplain into a manufacturing business and into a local school. Yeah, I'm half-time at Trinity, so um, don't think I... <laughs> My wife will tell you I overwork. But and We've been told to tell others about Jesus by people within the church, but we're also told 
And I've heard it said not to tell people in case it offends them. And yet I find people ready and willing to hear the good news of Jesus. I hear, I meet people who are spiritually curious and they don't know about Jesus. There's a hunger in many who don't attend church and an openness to hear what we think. A number of years ago, I was involved with a fair trade company and we had a number of retail shops in Britain. We also set up projects in difficult countries like Cambodia, the hardest parts of Africa, and brought crafts back into the UK and sold them through our network of shops. And we were approached by Lincoln Cathedral with a view to us taking over the Lincoln Cathedral shop. And um, we did do that. The, um, I still remember my shock at the, in our discussions of being asked whether we would be overly Christian in that shop because they had told the people who showed people around Lincoln Cathedral, the guides, not to mention God in case it offended anybody. And that was in stark contrast to a Muslim country I just visited and, and everywhere you went, it was all about, this is Allah, this is what we believe. And keep quiet about God. When we look around, I think we find, I find, that God is at work. God is already at work. So let's not get too discouraged, let's not get too worried about what's happening. An incredible story. I went into the homeless project and went into the hostel. And one of the members of staff sat there and said, has Steve spoken to you yet? And I said, no. They said, well, he needs to speak to you. I said, well, perhaps he needs to speak to me then, not, not you come to me. And they said, well, everywhere he goes, he sees the number 74. If he gets caught behind a bus, it's got 74 on it. If he pulls up outside, it's got the number 74 on his speed, on the, on the mileometer. He went past a poster and it said channel 74. And so we were teasing him. And this Steve, this Steve's not a Christian. And so we said, well, you perhaps you'd better put into a search engine number 74. So he went into Wikipedia. And I did this this week, and it's no longer there. But and I did it at the time, and it was. 74, it says, is the number of Jesus. If you take A as 1, B as 2, C as 3, D as 4, through the alphabet, and take the letters J-E-S-U-S, it adds up to 74. Steve was due in at 1. I was due to leave about half past twelve. I had to go somewhere else. And amazingly, Steve appeared at twelve o'clock. And he just walked in and he said, I don't know why, I just pulled up and I'm an hour early. So I was thinking outside, do I go in or do I sit in my car and carry on listening to the music? And I thought, no, I'll go in. And then he looked at me and said, I've got something to ask you. He said, have they told you? And I said, yes. And he said, what do you think? And I said, I think you've got a choice to make. (laughs) You're going to follow Jesus, who's appearing everywhere to you in the number 74. 
He did. Pray for Steve. Because although he's a member of staff at the hostel, he was a former drug addict that God had miraculously healed. Unfortunately, he's gone back into old ways at the moment. But God's still got his hands on him. And the last message I received from him said that he has started seeing the number 74 around again. Um, I don't believe God's going to let him go. But God is at work in our society. God is there. God is moving. God is acting. And it's exciting. Now, Jeremiah, I'm sure you've studied the passage around the verse for the year, was sent, sent this letter to those people who had been taken by the Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, into Babylon and were in exile. There were false prophets who were saying to them wrong things. And so I believe that some had stopped doing the normal things of life. But Jeremiah writes and says the situation you're in is not going to end in a hurry. 70 years, a lifetime, a long time you're going to be here in exile. So what you're to do is to build houses, is to plant gardens, eat of the produce, is to get married, have children, is to grow in number. And remember that God has plans for you, for your welfare. Not for harm, with a future filled with hope. And pray. And when you pray, God says, I will hear you. Search for me and you will find me. If you seek for me with all your heart. And God will let them find him. And will restore their fortunes. And them to their homeland. Until then, seek the welfare of the city. Pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. I often think, if we only got serious about praying for the areas we live in, it would make an incredible difference. If we really got serious about praying for the welfare, if we really got serious about bringing the areas God has allowed us to be in, God has called us to be in, what a difference that would make. Jesus came. I have to share this with you. I was... um, I asked someone the other day whether they were looking forward to Christmas and they, um, whether they liked Christmas. And their answer was, I love the incarnation. And I thought, wow. Because <laughs> I'd already shared that I was a bit like Scrooge at Christmas and on Christmas Day I feel like turning up at church with a whole load of humbugs and handing them out to people and, and, Incarnation, God came. 
God took on our bodies and became like us in order to meet with us. Holy Almighty God chose to come. That's amazing, isn't it? It's incredible. Jesus came. And Jesus didn't tell them to have all the answers. How many times do we not do something because we haven't got all the answers? He doesn't tell them to get their apologetic theses ready. He doesn't tell them to to make people feel bad, to make people feel guilty. Jesus sends his followers in twos ahead of him to go into towns to bring a message of peace. Peace that works for the good of us. Not peace as an absence of trouble, but peace that works for good for us. The kingdom of God has come close. Reach out, hold it, touch it, know it. Discover God's healing. Know his release from burdens. And Jesus knew what was to come next. He knew that they didn't want this type of message. It's there throughout Luke that actually what they wanted was a revolutionary leader who would call them to take up arms, take on their enemies, and they would discover release through that. Jesus says, go in peace. Take no baggage, and Dion, your talk worked, because I think it was Zach who fell over as he went off down there. I did wonder whether he would collide with a chair and he'd overdone it. uh. Take no bags, no sandals, no money. I was reading a Eugene Peterson book a while back. And um, Moses and the burning bush. And he said, um, suddenly wrote, so what did Moses set out with to face the most powerful man in the world at that time? Because Pharaoh was the most powerful man in the world with the power to say, right, off to the liar, you know, off, off there, off here. You can do, I could do whatever I like. Did he put armour on Moses? No. Moses set off with a stick and picked up his brother on the way. And we sometimes feel that we need to get so ready that we don't just go out and be ourselves because God has led us out to do and to be his people. Go with God, go with, go out. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals. When you enter a house, say peace upon this house. And if one of peace lives there, your peace will rest on them. If not, it will return to you. Bring healing where you're welcomed. 
and say God's kingdom has come close to you. Very different situations, aren't they? In Jeremiah, there's the, those people in a foreign country who must have just been longing to get back to their homeland and get out of where they were. There's the followers of Jesus traveling with the one who is the Son of God, who are sent out into the towns before him in their pairs. There's us here probably living in a place that we've lived the majority of our lives. Probably in what we consider to be our homeland. And yet a place where we have serious questions about things that are going on. So what would God have us do today? How can we be the Lord's people in our society here and now? I think it starts with prayer. I always think it starts with prayer. I can remember being being a minister a year and um, some visitors came to ask the deacons, you know, what what David brought to the church and they just went prayer immediately. Nine years later, I feel I've lost some of that. But it starts with prayer. We need to get together and pray. Speaking to and listening to God. The one with the power. Hearing his voice. Knowing how he's leading, how he's guiding. I believe we need to go together. I don't think we are called to go out on our own, but we are called to go out with others. I think that we are called to bring a message of peace and work to bring good into the lives of others. Jesus is the one who brings release from burdens. Jesus is the only one who brings release from sin. Jesus is the only one who brings us into a relationship with the living God. Before I came into ministry, I worked in various businesses and I took the policy that I would not be the first one to talk about Jesus. If people asked me what I'd done at the weekend, I would always say that I had been to church. But I wouldn't be the one to instigate the questioning. And I was amazed at how many people would come to me and say, could you tell us? Could you spend time with us explaining? I remember someone I'd prayed for for years and we just happened to be in a hotel near Slough having gone to a company together and um, about nine o'clock over the evening meal he suddenly said to me, right, you've never pushed it. Tell me about, tell me what you believe. And we sat up until about two o'clock in the morning while I was telling him about Jesus. And I'd prayed for years for this man, who is now involved in a church near Hull. 
God gives us the opportunities. God leads us to the people. We don't have to feel that we have to be anything other than we are. Just be natural with people. We don't have to feel that we know everything. I remember years ago, I went on beach missions and 15, 16. And every night after the open air, this student would come. And um, at 15, 16, you think this, this student who's 19, 20 was so much brighter than me. And he'd, he'd ask me all these difficult questions. And I can remember walking around this fun fair, the outside of this fun fair, and saying, I don't know. In fact, that's all I can ever remember saying to him. I don't know. The following week, someone led him to Jesus. And I got a letter. And I can remember opening this letter, and this per- the person who'd been on the team the week after me wrote to say that this student had asked that I would be thanked for all the help I'd given. And I can remember sitting there just thinking... Well, all I said was, I don't know. (laughs) It's okay to say I don't know. I know I've been to Bible college. I know that I'm supposed to have all the answers. But I still say quite regularly, I don't know. Because I don't know everything. There are things that we need to be comfortable in, not knowing. We need to pray. We need to go out together. We need to go out as we are. We need to be free to say, I don't know. It's amazing how God takes things and lets people hear something different sometimes. You know, the 70... 72, because it varies in different versions, different translations of the Bible. They returned. And you can almost feel them jumping up and down with excitement and, wow, this is fantastic, this worked. It's there in Luke chapter 10 and verses 17 to 20. And it says there, the 70 returned with joy, saying, Lord, in your name, even the demons submit to us. Jesus said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like a flash of lightning. See, I have given you authority to tread on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing will hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice at this, that the spirits submit to you, But rejoice that your names are written in heaven. See, in all of this, do we rejoice? Do we sometimes just sit down and thank God for who he is? That he has his hand upon you? That he knows you, that he's called you, that he's saved you, rescued you. Almighty God, in relationship with you, 
I'm so relieved that Jesus said, Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's his grace. So as we seek to be his people, acting his way, going out, taking his message of peace, of reconciliation, of hope, let's not worry about that. But let's do it. But let's rejoice in that relationship we have with the one who is the living God.